Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our podcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Go to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. A few weeks ago, we talked about Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We talked about the environment that was being created within this new body of Christ, this new family, the community that was taking place. And everything at the end of chapter 2 is great. God is adding to their number daily those who are being saved. Everything is up and everything is wonderful everything is great, everything is grand. Isn't it awesome to be a part of something when everything's going the way it's supposed to go, right? When do you usually see people kind of turn around and go the other way when things get what? Difficult. When things get hard. When challenges come. And it's not long after chapter 2 that you begin to see a challenge that comes up for the first time in this church. And how is this new community going to respond to this challenge? Well, so here's the groundwork. We're not going to read all of it, but I'll tell you very quickly. Chapter 3, Peter and John are going into the temple. And as they're going into the temple, a guy goes, hey, look at me. Look at me. Pay attention to me. And he's lame. He can't walk. And he's asking for money. And, and they look at him and they go, silver and gold, we, we, we don't have money. We don't have money to give you. But what we do have, we're going to give to you. And he looks at them. He looks at them. They look at him and say, hey, basically, get up and walk. Get up and walk. And, and I don't know if he felt something different, but he did exactly what they said. He got up and he started walking. Now, let's just think about that moment for a second. If you're in a group of people and there's a man who hadn't walked for 40 years laying right here, and I reach over and heal this guy, I've all of a sudden got your attention, don't I? You're paying attention to me now because what's just happened. And they take that moment where everybody's paying attention to them and they start to preach the gospel. They start right there in the temple, the courts. They start telling people about Jesus and about their Savior and everything that He had done. Now, the, 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 the religious elite, the, the spiritual leaders of the group, of the, the nation of Israel, at this point in time, they are just as concerned about power as they are about truth. They're just as concerned about their power as they are their truth. And they see, I'm sure they're thinking, I thought we were done with this. I thought we were done with this. Because you see, from the time Jesus ascended into heaven to the day of Pentecost, there was a a period of, at least from their perspective, probably of calmness. This group of people, this 120 that we start out with at the beginning of this book, they're just kind of quietly waiting and praying for the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit comes and blows the doors off of things. And here they are back into it again. And so they bring Paul or Peter and John in front of the, in front of the Sanhedrin, in front of the ruling committee. And, 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 and I love, I love the way Peter just kind of opens up here. And uh, he says in verse 17, now fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. So basically he's telling everybody, these people that you're following, they're ignorant, they don't know what they're doing. Now, how well does calling the people that are getting on to you ignorant usually work out? Usually not a good thing. Well, so they drag them in and they, they, they plead their case, they tell them what they're doing. And in verse 21, it says of chapter 4, 
After further threats, they'd let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. And so they find themselves in quite a conundrum to where they want to do something to these guys, but God's in the middle of it, and and they see people praising God, and so they know if they do something to them, they're not just going to have a problem with these two guys, they're going to have a problem with all these people who have been listening to them and who are following God in this moment. So they let them go. So they let them go. But this is kind of the first taste of difficulty that the early church faces. The first moment where they're drug in front of a governing body, if you will, and basically told, look, you don't need to do what you're doing. And look at verse 23. What, what did they do? What did they do? On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voice together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together uh, against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate meet together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their hearts. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This moment... This moment of challenge, this moment of conflict, everything's going along just great. And then all of a sudden they're kind of stopped and they're challenged by the governing body. And they're told, look, you need to quit what you're doing. We're going to let you go this time. And you know, their punishment just, they keep getting drugged in front of this group and they keep punishing them in a little bit more and a little bit more, you know, stressful ways as the story goes on. But what did they do? In that moment of difficulty, they stayed together and they turned to who? They turned to God. And they said, hey, look, you said some of this stuff was going to happen. You said this moment was going to come. Now just fill us up. And this moment didn't deter them. As a matter of fact, it said after the prayer, they were filled by what? The Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, they proclaimed the Word of God. How? More or less boldly, more boldly. They took it to the next level. Now, why were they able to do this? Well, I think it's because they knew. They knew as, as Peter and John came out of this moment, and I'm sure that they were anxious. I'm sure that they were excited when they left, but I'm sure that there was this anxiousness that just filled their, 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 their souls you know, the, the, and they go back to their safe place. They go back to their family to be filled up. 
And this morning, I want you to know that it is so important that this group of people be your safe place. That you know that no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what struggles, no matter what challenges you face, you can walk into a small group of people from this family, a large group like this this morning, and you can know that the people in this room, they love you. They care about you. They're concerned about you. They're going to pray with you and they're going to pray for you and that you don't have to battle these struggles all by yourself. You see, that's the first thing that I see that's so powerful in this text is that they made it a habit of sharing their burdens and their struggles with one another. They bore each other's burdens. Paul says, he says that we are to carry each other's burdens. And in this way, we will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, if we were to sit down and take a survey of what do I need to do to fulfill the law of Christ, we're going to get a lot of different answers. Paul tells us, Paul says, the way you fulfill the law of Christ is by carrying each other's burdens. You live this life together. Jesus calls it a new command. He says, the new command I give you to love one another as what? As I have loved you. You go and you read the book of 1 John. John lays out this amazing argument. Maybe that's not the best word, but I think you get. He lays out this amazing thought of how the greatest thing that we can do for one another is to love each other. And that love existed here in the, in, 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 in the first century church. It existed in a way that, that a lot of times in, in our churches, I think, I think it doesn't. I think it's so easy in our church culture today to make our Christian life center around three or four hours a week. Okay, it, it's easy to look at, at the time that, that we have to gather together and to walk in a room and to do the things we think we need to do to worship God and turn around and walk out and go, okay, I've been to church, I've done what I needed to do. But you know what? It's so much deeper than that. Yes, this time is important. Yes, this time is valuable. Yes, this time is expected out of us from God. But if this is the beginning and the end of your relationships with people in this room, if all you know about people in this room is how much hair they've lost on the back of their head, from one Sunday to the next. You don't really love each other. You're not really fellowshipping with each other. You see, this love, this fellowship, this community happens outside of this room. It happens at the ladies' paint party coming up in a few weeks. It happens, and we haven't done a great job of announcing this, but next Saturday afternoon... We're going to have a watch party for the Alabama LSU game for any of our men that want to come and eat barbecue and watch football. You know, sometimes you have to disguise fellowship as fun. Not Fellowship is always fun. But you see, it's in those moments that we really just get to be together and be ourselves. And we, as we get to know each other, as we get to, to love each other, this community of bearing each other's burdens will become more and more prevalent in our church family. Let's go on and, and look at another few verses. I want you to go to verse 32. 
I love the description. I love description verses because it shows us what we need to be. Okay, it shows us where we, maybe where we are and where we need to get to. Verse 32 says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. How, how are you able to really carry each other's burdens? How are you able to be effective as a church? It's when you are, what is, where you're in one heart and one mind. Another word that we use for that starts with a U. What is it? The word Unity. Unity is one of the greatest things to talk about, but one of the most difficult things to achieve. Would you agree with that? It's, it, it, it's easy to talk about. But in our culture, in the way that we live, in the way that we work, I mean, look at our, look at our political, look at our political world. Is there unity in our political world? No. They're not getting anything accomplished other than looking like children sometimes, right? And, and you look at that, and these are supposed to be the people that lead our nation, and you wonder, if they, if they don't have a great purpose, how can anybody get along? And I feel the same way about the church sometimes. You know, sometimes we get in our own way, don't we? Sometimes we get in our own way. We get wrapped up in what we want. We get wrapped up in our thoughts and our beliefs and what we think's right, what we think's wrong. And we can hold on to some things. And, and, and in our heart, in a good conscience, we can be so sold out in one direction that we forget there may be another way to think. There may be another way to do something. How do we overcome the I that sometimes gets in the way of unity? Go with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Paul starts, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, our unity first starts by being united with who? Christ. We've all got to be grounded in Him. Okay, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. There's all this oneness here. Okay, all this oneness. And it all goes back to being grounded first and foremost in who? Jesus. I want what Jesus wants. I need what Jesus has. And I'm going to give what Jesus gives. But look at verse 3. This is the difficult part. This is the part that gets in the way of unity. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking at your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another. And if you don't have this verse underlined, you need to. Verse 5. Have the same mindset. Some of your Bibles are going to say heart. Some are going to have attitude as Christ Jesus. If you look back in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Did you know that's a thing? Doing something... It's doing something that looks like it's for the common good for everybody else. But in the back of your mind, you're doing it so you get the praise, 
you get the glory or you get to kind of be put ahead of other people. He says, don't live that way. And then he uses vain conceit. My granddaddy used to say that he wished, that he only said this about my brother that I know of. He may have said it about me. He said, I wish I could buy your brother for what he's worth and sell him for what he thinks he's worth. That's vain conceit, okay? That you think that you're so much better and so greater than other people. He goes, don't be that way. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. That is our biggest problem with unity. Our biggest problem with unity is we think, I'm right, you're wrong. My time's important, your time's not. My thoughts are right, your thought, my understanding is great. He says, no, when you go into a moment of conflict, don't worry about what you think. Be ready to listen. Be ready to hear someone else's side. Be ready to, to understand that maybe there's another way of thinking about something. I have learned in my life, when you take time to just listen to other people, the waters clear up very quickly. They clear up very quickly. But we have a tendency of just wanting to hold on to our own thoughts, our own interest. He says no. In essence, he's saying it's not about you. It's about Jesus And it's about others. And what I've learned in my time in ministry is if I forget about Matthew's needs, if I forget about my needs altogether, and I pour everything I have into meeting the needs of you in my church family, and vice versa, if you forget about all of your needs, and you focus on pouring all of yourself into the needs of your church family, guess whose needs get met completely? Everybody's. Everybody's. But when we're all worried about me, whose needs get met? Nobody's. We need to be moving in the same direction. Listen, three baptisms this past week, that's the direction we need to be focusing in, right? That's the mission. That's the mission Jesus left us. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. If we're not focused on that, we're focused on the wrong thing. If we're all focused in that direction, you know what we're going to have? Starts with a U. What is it? Unity. And I know we can accomplish that. I know we can make that our focus. And I know that we can live a powerful life as a church united in the mission of Christ. Let's go back to our passage in Acts and then we'll wrap things up. We see here that they were willing and able to go out and be bold in their evangelism. Can I ask you by a show of hands if you're willing to or a head nod? How many of you get nervous when you think about talking about the Word of God with someone else? When you think about sharing your faith and answering questions about the Bible and talking about the Bible to other people, if that makes you nervous, raise your hand. Okay, listen, I'm a preacher. It is my job to know the Bible, okay? I I, I mean, really, you expect me to know my Bible because I'm your preacher, right? I get nervous talking to people about my faith. Because you never know what's going to come up. 
You never know what's going to be brought into the conversation. When you talk about your faith, it is the most important conversation that you might ever have with that individual. Yeah, there's going to be some nerves wrapped up in that from time to time. And that is okay. But uh, read verse 33. With great power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerful at work in them all. It's easy to look at that and go, yeah, but they were apostles, right? I mean, they had the Holy Spirit to give them power. Well, guess what? So do you. So do you. You have the same Savior. You have the same gospel message. You have the same Holy Spirit that the apostles had. I think for us at times where we're missing things is back in verse 31. After they prayed... The boldness didn't really come until after they what? Prayed. The Holy Spirit didn't give them that extra push until after they what? Prayed. How important is prayer? Have you ever thought that maybe the reason you're so afraid and haven't been effective in your sharing of the gospel is because you have forgotten to pray? That you've been trying to do it all by yourself. Jesus never intended on you doing it all by yourself. He intended on you doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And once you are baptized and you are immersed in water and immersed in the Holy Spirit, He is able to connect with you and empower you and energize you and push you in ways that you never thought. But the way you tap into that power is through first what? Prayer. You may get tired of hearing me talk about prayer, but I'm a firm believer that it's where it starts. As a church, we have to be praying that God will shake us and empower us and push us to do things we've never done before. Over the last few weeks and into the day and for the weeks to come, my goal is to paint a picture of where we should be. What are we supposed to look like as a church? As a family of believers, what is... I've heard, I believe Neil's the one that said it, we all know what the first century church looked like and what they did. Our struggle is becoming that, is doing those things. But you know what? Step by step, little by little, God will empower us to not just see the picture that's being painted, but to be that. We're going to be a church that prays. We're going to be a church that is filled with the Spirit of God, that is empowered and that boldly declares the Word of God. And in this past week, in this past week, God has given us a small yet powerful taste of the blessings that He can and will shower upon us if we make these things our focus. Amen? Let's close in a word of prayer. God, thank You for today. Thank You for the opportunity to just study from Your Word. I thank You so much for everyone that made it a priority to be here today. That they gave up their time to devote to You. And for that, God, I'm grateful. 
And I pray that this time has been beneficial to them, that they have been lifted up, that they have been encouraged, that they feel closer to you. And I pray, God, that they feel convicted to go out and to boldly declare your message this week. God, we thank you so much for our new brother and sisters in Christ. Help us to see that as we continue to serve you, you are, you are blessing us. Allow us to see those blessings and allow those blessings to motivate us to be even more bold in our life for you. God, this morning, I, I don't know, that, that may just be the tip of the iceberg. There may be others here today that need to make that same commitment of having their sins washed away. And God, if so, please convict them. Allow your Holy Spirit to convict them in this moment to make that commitment to be baptized and to be saved, God. God, maybe this morning, maybe there's others that they've made that salvation commitment. They've had their sins washed away. They've received your Holy Spirit, but they've put the Spirit's fire out. God, help them to find that fire this morning. If they need help doing so, allow them to be convicted to come and just ask for your help, for our help, to help them turn that fire back on in their life. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you for his willingness to put his self aside and just focus on us. Help us to be motivated by that every day to do the same thing for others. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. There is a God. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. Our Sunday worship services are at 1030 a.m., and 6 o'clock p.m. with Bible classes on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to listen again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for our community.